So first, again, there is this honor to be given to widows, or to elders, doubly that of widows. And that's striking. Uh, for a long time, I wondered why that double honor was there. And, and is it creating a distinction among elders? Like you're supposed to elder, uh, honor some elder, elders like this, but others doubly? It never really sat well with me in this week as I was reading on this. The double honor is in contrast the honor given to the widows. I think that's right. So the church is to take great care of its widows, to honor them. But then in regards to its elders, to show them double honor. And I want to bring that up again because this is a principle throughout Scripture is to honor authority. And we live in a day where we despise it. We hate it. We kick against it. And uh, I think it's good for us to constantly be rebuked in this regard to honor the authority God has before you. And the real test of this, of course, is that the authorities that God has placed over you are sinners. They're, they're bad. And, and, and every kind of authority... God has not placed one good man or woman over you. And yet we're to give them honor, doubly, that of widows. Isn't that something? God takes serious in his word the honoring of authority. Why? Because all authority is given by God. And honoring the authority that God has placed is to honor God's authority. When we honor civil authority, when we honor family authority, when we honor church authority, we are honoring the authority of God. Which is why we have to be really careful, really, really careful when we say it's time to resist authority. So when we're talking about, say, the mask mandate, and there, there has been some overreach there. We have to go about calling for resistance of that overreach in a way that still teaches you to honor authority. Too many times we say that you have to resist the authority, but we do it in a way that undermines authority ultimately. We malign authority. We slander authority. And, and, and maybe we're talking about a right issue, but what we ultimately are doing is saying authority is bad. Don't submit to it until it's my authority. So this really matters. But the main thing here is elders can sin. Elders can sin. One of the striking things when you read in Scripture about any of the leaders that God has placed over his people, invariably it talks about the sin of those leaders. There isn't one good leader in the Bible. Not one. Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, every one of them are bad and do some awful, horrendous things. Just let your mind wander over any of the main leaders that God has placed over his people. Any of them. Abraham. David. Peter. They all fail. They all do. And the same is true of your elders and pastors here. But before we get into that, 
Please, uh, let's start with verse 19 here. So first, honor elders doubly. So, sorry, before we go to 19, just look at 17 and 18. I just want to ask you something, and I'll close with this in the um, exhortation at the end of the charge. What can you do to honor your elders and pastors? I know this is coming from the pastor. Um, but if it says to doubly honor, what can you do to do that? Just, just think of that. But verse 19 is about protecting elders. This, um, this, this issue of justice here, of not even entertaining a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses, the first place we see that is in Deuteronomy 17.6, if you want to turn there. Deuteronomy is the fifth book in your Bible. Deuteronomy 17.6. Just talking about witnesses generally. On the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. So talking about capital crimes generally, the standard is Two or three witnesses. Why? Why? One witness might be lying. This is the standard in our country as well, right? When you have a, 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 a law process, they need, they need evidences. They, and, and those evidences often come in the form of witnesses. And more than one is always required. We get that standard in our nation from Scripture. And so, of course, yes, our country is built on Christianity. Thank God for it. And the further we depart from it, the more injustice we'll see. The second, another place we see it in Scripture is in Matthew 18. In this uh, section on church discipline, Matthew eighteen sixteen, turn there if you would. So here we have sin in the church, just among the church generally. If you have, see sin in another, that's an issue, you're to go to him or her privately. If they don't listen, take one or two others, and then it says that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So now it's the principle in Deuteronomy is beyond just capital punishment. This is just general sin in the church. That two or three eyewitnesses are needed in order to bring charges against somebody in the process of church discipline. Generally, among all Christians, we shouldn't ever go along the road of church discipline based on one person's evidence because they might have an axe to grind. The general nature of this standard of justice. It's generally in society. It's generally for all Christians. But here in First Timothy, it's applied specifically to elders and pastors in the church. So it takes this very general, societal, general church for all people everywhere and applies it specifically to one office, pastors and elders. Why? Why should we not even admit? You know what that means. Don't even entertain. 
Don't even listen to a charge against an elder on one witness. Don't even, don't let your ear hear it. Show them the door gently. Why does it apply that to elders and pastors? Because constantly, elders and pastors are lied about. Not only do you see elders and pastors, those given charge over God's people in the Bible sinning, you see them consistently condemned and lied about in the Bible. Again and again and again and again and again. Calvin says that none are more liable to slanders and calumnies than godly teachers. Just look at our Lord himself. Has there been anybody more lied about in the history of the world than Jesus Christ and he never sinned? Any of you who have been in leadership for any time know that one thing that comes with any kind of leadership is people lying about you. Out of jealousy, rivalry, hatred of authority, you will be lied about in, in um, leadership. I was with a group of pastors this past Tuesday, and there was a, it's kind of a denominational gathering, and I get to come along, and one of the denominational reps was in there, and he was talking about um, the difficulty that many pastors and elders are facing during COVID and so on. And then he said, only one in 10 pastors will retire as a pastor. As they're called to the pastorate, it doesn't go well. And only one in 10 who begin in their calling to the pastorate will actually end up there. Why? One of the main reasons is because of the unjust and harsh criticism and lies and slanders and so on that they face constantly. And the reason this has to be stated about elders and pastors is because of the nature that you have of sin. When somebody tells you something that is untrue about somebody in leadership, what do you do with it? You believe it. Right? When you read the headline about Joe Biden with one quote from Joe Biden without any care for context, what do you do with it? You believe it. You have no idea if he actually said it. You have no idea the context around which he said it. The purpose for it, you just soak it in. Because that's what we do to those in authority. We immediately believe it as if it's already true and the conviction is done. It's hard to speak up for a man against false accusation. And so here we have this general principle that's in society, that's in the church generally applied specifically to elders and pastors to protect them. So one thing to always ask yourself when somebody is speaking negatively to you about somebody in leadership, ask yourself this. What does that tell me about the person telling me it? Right? Because it's not really telling you anything about the person that they're talking about. Because you have no idea whether or not it's true. What does that tell you about the person slandering and gossiping? 
This is a really important lesson for you to learn. Because what the person is telling you about the person in leadership, you have no idea whether or not it's true, but it's telling you a lot about the person telling you it. And the main thing it's telling you is that they are not to be trusted because they're going to do the same thing to you eventually. I would instead encourage you to figure out, because this is going to happen to you. This is going to happen to you as a sibling when one of your other siblings come to you about your parent. It's going to happen to you as a wife when you're with other wives. Sometimes women ministry is all just about getting together and dogging the husbands. It's going to happen to you in the workplace. What are you going to do when somebody is saying negative things about the person in leadership? I would encourage you to speak up for him or her. Have their back. Show loyalty. Don't entertain it. Don't entertain it. So you have here protection for elders. Then you have in verse 20, temptations common to elders, that elders will be tempted and will sin. So this text deals with pastors and elders that do sin. Just as we should not admit a charge against an elder on two or three witnesses, but when charges are made against an elder based on two or three witnesses, and they persist in them, the process in Matthew 18 isn't followed in regards to an elder. Public charges are brought. Because sin in leadership is very serious. Teachers are held to a higher account. So do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. Isn't that crazy? Rebuke them in the presence of all. Why? So that the rest may stand in fear. I mean, it's at this point that I just want to point out that we really don't like Scripture very much. Because you just can't stand for this kind of stuff in church because we have to pretend like we got it all together. The church, we think, stands or falls based on our hypocrisy that we're not sinful or not really that bad. And the worst thing that we can ever do is admit that there's really sin in the church, especially there's really sin amongst the leaders, and do anything so crazily awful as telling everybody about the sin of the pastor or elder that they're persisting in. What does the church in America do with sin among its leadership today? Hide it. Hide it. We 
we protect the guilty and leave the innocent unprotected. How many more high-profile pastors and elders have to fall and it comes out that the sin has been known about for years and covered up? Why do we do this? We usually do it because we think we're being evangelistic. We don't want the world to know. It'll cause people to leave. I mean, what did Jesus die for except our sin? So what temptations are common to elders? The texts in the Bible that speak about elders speak about a few common temptations to elders. The first one I want to consider, we could put generally under the heading of priorities. That is, well, the te- a temptation for pastors and elders will be to neglect the main priority of care for the people for the sake of administration and finances. Turn quickly, if you would, to Acts 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, fifth book in the New Testament, Acts 6. So early on in the church, before the church was well organized and before we had deacons, the elders, this is the apostles here, were taking care of everything. They were responsible for the preaching and teaching, for the shepherding, for the ministry of the word, and for the administrative financial issues. And here the issue is the care of widows, again. And apparently there was some discrepancy among um, those Greek-speaking Jewish believers. Their widows were being neglected. There was too much weight for the elders to take care of this. And the elders say here, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Verse 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of word, of the word. And so the administrative burden of administering the finances to take care of the widows was overwhelming the work that they were supposed to be doing. So the main work, if you remember back to last week, of the elders is to shepherd Christ's people. In John chapter 10, we meet the good shepherd Christ and how intimate he is with his people. It says that he calls them by name. Verse 14 of John chapter 10 says he knows his own. That know there isn't just like a general knowing who they are. It's a very Intimate, personal knowing. In Acts 20.28 last week, we met that the elders was to pay careful attention to all the flock. Hebrews 13.17, the elders are given to you to keep a watch over your souls as those who have to give an account to the chief shepherd. 
1 Peter 5, 2, we're to shepherd the flock of God among you. If you remember last week, I, I switched the um, farming analogy from sheep to plants. Because not many of us shepherd sheep, but many of you plant gardens. And you know your garden. You know your plants. You know which plants are doing well and which ones aren't. And the ones that aren't, you pay close attention to because you want to figure out what you need to do in order to get them more healthy. Maybe there's an infestation of something. Or maybe there's a lack in nutrient or a lack of water. I don't know what it is. I, I don't do it, but you do. But you pay very close attention to them. You know them daily. That's what elders are supposed to do. And one of the main temptations that will cause elders to not do that work is to focus mainly on the administrative and financial matters. Now, administrative and financial matters are a way to love people. They are necessary and they are good. So don't hear me saying that those who do administrative financial stuff in the church are evil or second-class citizens or something. But it's not the main job of the elders. The main job of the elders is direct, hands-on, intimate people care. Now, why would elders be tempted to spend more time at administrative financial issues than people issues? This is, this is an easy question, isn't it? Because people are really hard and very complicated. The work of people is a patient, slow work where very little progress is seen. Whereas dealing with administrative financial is like checklist. Satisfying. You can get it done and it's done. There's not much grief involved, but being in lives of people is often filled with sorrow and complication, and you're going to get things wrong. You're going to do it wrong. There's great risk. Paul declares in 2 Corinthians 2.16 regarding elders and pastors, who is sufficient for these things? Elders feel that weight and sometimes lack the faith for it and so turn to more administrative financial issues. So that's one. Why do I bring that up? Because part of your job as the congregation is to make sure that we're not getting off track as elders. A couple of years ago, um, since I've been here, we've had three kind of elder chairs. We designate one of our elders to kind of lead the meetings, basically, and set the agenda. When I came, it was Tim Hasbargan, and then it was Mike Jewell, and then it was Terry Freeze. I think Mike was only a year or so as the elder chair, and it was right when he got the job at Silver Birch. So there was something about transition there. And when Terry took it on, Terry and I met. I won't tell you where or under what circumstances this meeting was because you might think less of us. It might have involved the Brewer game. And we talked about our elder agenda. 
And the elders at that time, I think through Tim and Mike, and then we're, we were beginning to express some frustration that we were dealing way too much with administrative financial stuff, business stuff, we called it. And uh, we weren't getting the people work. It was frustrating. We had just begun deacons. The reason we had begun deacons, because the Bible told us to, but the main reason was because we were handling mostly deacon kind of work and not people work. And so one of the things we talked about is we have to do our agenda different. And what we did is we typically, on our previous agendas, it was maybe a short devotion and prayer and then business stuff. And we'd spend two or three hours there, and the very last thing was any kind of people work that we would spend a few minutes on before praying. And what we did is we flipped it. We we wanted to spend more time on a devotion, so 15, 20 minutes, and then it was people stuff. Brothers, bring your list of things going on in the lives of the people. Bring your directories. We're going to spend the bulk of our time, the main part of our meeting, on people. And I can tell you as an elder, that was very gratifying. It was very gratifying. And, and then if we had some time, we'd deal with the business stuff. It's really what shepherds are made for. Farmers don't like typically doing the business part of the farming. They want to be out there with the animals and with the field work. They want to be in the soil. And so that's what we've done as your elders. We've prioritized you. And as I said, we spend most of our time talking about you (laughs) and what, what we need to do in your lives. And so I want you to pray for that, please, that we would keep that focus, that we would have discernment to see what we should see, that we'd have the courage and love for you to get our hands dirty in your lives because we love you and care for you. That's one temptation. A second temptation is what 1 Peter 5 calls lording it over or um, domineering, 5.3. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge with being examples to the flock. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians one twenty four. not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. Uh, what does that look like if elders lord it over you? Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 23. Again, Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. Matthew 23, 1-7. I think the Pharisees give us a really prime prime example of what lording it over can look like. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. (laughs) You got to love the courage of Jesus Christ. So he's got crowds around him his disciples, there are Pharisees and scribes there, and he says, these people love to sit in Moses' seat. What they tell you is good, but their lives are not. Do what they do, do what they tell you, but not what they do. By the way, kids, this is a really helpful thing. 
your parents will sometimes tell you what to do and then do it wrong. And you're going to have to have faith. I mean this seriously. You're going to have to love your parents enough to give them that grace to do what they tell you and sometimes not what they do. Parents will do this not infrequently. They'll tell you the right thing and do the wrong thing. And so will you. So don't shame them. Humble yourself. Love them. And do what they say and not what they do. It's all right. Okay, so what is it that they do? They preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear. They lay them on the people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their own finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. They make their phylacteries broad and their, oh, you get the idea. Elders and pastors who lorded over you put heavy burdens on you but they themselves refuse to do the same. It's all law. It's all don't eat, don't touch, don't, 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 don't. They're distant from the people, but they lay heavy burdens on them. They couldn't give a a wit for what happens in their lives at all but they love to tell you how to live your lives in every minor detail. Remember last week I talked about the feed mixture? There's people in the church who say, more more thunder, hit us. And there's people who say, you know, more tender. More gentle, more grace. And the right church has a good mixture of both. John Calvin says that the pastor needs to have two voices one to strike the wolves, drive them off, and one to tenderly call the sheep. You need this mixture. And lording it over you, kind of elders and pastors, have that mixture all messed up. It's all thunder. It's all law. It's all do, 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 do. There's not much grace. There's not much kindness. There's not much involvement in your life. And they demand to be recognized for it. That's what they're really after. What's the solution? Well, if you're in, in first, I'm not in first Peter. Uh, if you're in first Peter five, where it says not being domineering, verse four is the solution. When the chief shepherd appears, elders and pastors must always recognize that they are not the chief shepherd. That this is God's church. Jesus Christ is the shepherd. We are only under shepherds of the chief shepherd. We must fear 
God and love you very carefully. Because we will give an account to him. So humility is the solution. I think verse 3 is also helpful. After domineering, the contrast is being an example. If you remember back to Acts 20:28, 20, it says, pay careful attention. Who does it list first to pay careful attention to in addressing the elders? Paul says to the Ephesian elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and then to the flock for which God has made you overseers. And then verse 2 says that elders shouldn't serve under compulsion, but willingly, eagerly. In a previous church, we had a man that the elders had nominated to be an elder. And his constant response to us was, no, I'm not good enough. I'm not ready. I don't think I should. And we convinced him. And then we realized once he got on the elders that he was a big fat liar. He was lying this kind of fake humility of I'm not good enough. I'm not. The moment he became an elder, it became apparent that, that he was thinking he was good enough. I think this is what this is protecting us from. Elders should love, even though they're afraid, even though they realize the calling is hard, that they want to be a shepherd of Christ's people because they love the people. It's for the people. A sincere desire loves the sheep, tender to the sheep. God says in Isaiah 40, 11, that he is the kind of shepherd who tends his flock like a shepherd, gathers the lambs in his arms, carries them in his bosom and gently leads those that are with young. Elders and shepherds should have that kind of bearing. Carrying the sheep, not demanding that the sheep carry heavy burdens. It's a call to love. That's what this is a calling to. It's a call to prioritize, care for the sheep above administration and finance. It's a call to love the sheep by serving as an example with a good feed mixture of law and grace with a gentleness and tenderness. That's what it's for. Why? Because we want to show you the kind of love that God has for you. So why is the Bible so careful to point out the sins of its shepherds? Why is the Bible so careful to warn the church about the temptations and failings and sin of its elders and pastors? Because we're not Jesus. Because you only have one who died and rose again from the dead and who can justify you before God. And it ain't me. And it isn't Pastor Jeff. And it isn't Sean. And it isn't Terry. And it definitely isn't Dennis. Last time I picked on Terry, now it was Dennis's turn. Right? It pleased God not to give you elders and pastors who are angels 
so that your hope might always be in him and not in us. Let's pray. Father, help us as elders and pastors to take serious our calling to pay attention, close attention to our own lives. That we uh, might not set aside the careful shepherding of your people for what we think are easier tasks. That we might not domineer or lord anything over anyone, but serve as examples, eagerly fulfilling the calling to care for your people in a way that's pleasing to you. Forgive us for our many failings. Grant your church faith to bear with us. Anyone has anything against us, God, I pray that it would, if it needed to be, be dealt with so that we can uh, find forgiveness and reconciliation or to overlook it that you might be pleased to give us true, genuine unity and fellowship and care one for another here. And so, God, please help us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the charge is this. In all this, as we talk about eldership, please consider one way that you can practically honor those God has placed you over you who serve you here at Pine Grove. This is mainly in regards to elders and deacons, but it could be Sunday school teacher, Awana leader, youth group leader. Anyway, how, how can you actually show honor and encourage them? Blessed be the Lord, and may he give you rest according to his promises, knowing that not one word of his will fail. The Lord our God be with us and never leave us nor forsake us. May he incline your hearts to him to walk in all of his ways and to keep his commandments, statutes, and rules, which he commanded our fathers. And may all the peoples of the earth know that the Lord is God and there is no other. Let your hearts be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord, and I love you.